to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. My name is Aaron, and with me as always is Fredo and Dave. How are we doing, guys? Doing good. I'm doing well. Is it good or well? Well, that's he's the, doing well. I'm doing good. Yeah, but that's the thing is that I had a I had an assistant principal I worked with that always, you know, kind of came down on people for, I don't know, is there there is a proper. I think it, the proper is well, but I always say good as I always say good. I always tell people whenever they ask me about learning English, I tell the beautiful thing about English is there's very few hard locked in rules. Which you is, know, unlike which Spanish, which so has, many kids fail English. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can do whatever you want to the English language. It's why it's so malleable. It absorbs words from other languages, and it's like not a big deal. We can do that. You Every can. other language has academies or whatever, and take it all serious. About this I stuff. have I have two editors that I'd like to introduce you to, Fredo. <laughs> they they would beg <laughs> to differ on this. So no, uh, yeah. So uh, um. Big news, uh, first of all, in Saints land is that we're losing Thomas Morstead. Oh, my goodness. That is, yeah. I mean, talk about, like, I, I love the meme that's going around. It's like, you want to know what makes New Orleans special? We're all up in our feelings about losing a punter. You know, it's mm-hmm. this guy and the fact that he's going to, you know, remain here as his home he probably will go play for somewhere else you know for some other team and just live you know be here in the off season and everything but um new he orleans was has, a home i want to say yeah but so. you know new orleans has become his home and that you know the the people have you know accepted accepted him as you know but yeah did you ever one think you'd us, ever see a team just us. go nut go nuts over a punter um and uh then what else we we started uh uh today was it started like free agency is that uh, we started putting franchise tags on people i saw marcus williams we put one on uh, yeah so i just hate this time of year with football it's when you know you don't want to get too you know emotional emotionally attached to players but you do so it's it's when the sausage gets made the sausage <laughs> that you're going to see come fall every Sunday and sometimes Monday and every now and again Thursday it gets made right now. This is when rosters get put, players cash in on past quality performance or restructured deals. And when everybody and, on the internet thinks they know how salary cap works and how much we have to spend. Yeah. So. Exactly. <laughs> um, anything. Spoiler alert. Nobody knows anything about that. Um, but I, you know what I love is that the Saints fans are like um, sort of postmodern in their relationship to the salary cap because they've seen Mickey Loomis just do these magic tri- tricks every offseason to get under the cap. And they're just like, the salary cap isn't like a real thing. It doesn't exist. So it's like, do whatever you want. And I'm like, I can't argue with past precedent at this point. You know, it's like. They're yeah, they're gonna re-sign Lattimore, aren't they? They're gonna trade for uh, you know a new quarterback. I'm not gonna rule any of that out. So yeah, like you said though, it is when the sausage get made. And I, I almost wonder if it would be better if it was just like you know on this day they just release a roster. Here's who's gonna be on the team, you know, um, at least for all, all of our hearts. But uh, anyway, so and uh, so yeah. Um, I want to throw a shout out again to uh, the Star Wars Underworld podcast. You know, we had Ben Hart on last week and they had a very nice, some very nice things to say about us on their podcast. Um, 
this past week. So thank you guys for for uh, mentioning us. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it pretty cool. They're, they're one of their hosts, Chris Siegel. He is he said he'll listen to our podcast if if we can use our force powers to say whether or not Drew Brees is going to retire because he wants to know if Tom Brady's ninth championship is smooth sailing or rocky waters. And, um, I think, uh, he's I think retiring, we, but yeah. yeah, he's retiring, but, uh, that's not guaranteed that it's smooth sailing. Yeah. yeah, actually. Yeah. That's, that's a really good way of putting it. I think, uh, they, they got that championship by the skin of their teeth, you know, get winning in the Superdome the way that they did. And, um, well, and so, uh, you know, I'm very sorry, Tom Brady, but, you know, um, you ain't in the AFC East anymore. You know, NFC South, even even the bad teams in the NFC South are going to, you know, come back and haunt you, you know, at times. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Trying to repeat in this division, uh, in these circumstances, is going to be very difficult. I mean, heck, the Chiefs aren't going anywhere. The Chiefs are not going anywhere. They had an epically bad game in that Super Bowl, but, um, you know, they're going to be back. So, yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I want to say thank you to the guys for, uh, for you know, uh, giving us a little shout out. That was kind of cool. Um, and Ben was a great guest. So, um, yeah, well, tonight we are going to be talking uh, oh, about a whole slew of things. We're going to be a combination of Star Wars and Marvel uh, because we're going to – there's a lot of um, – tantalizing stuff in the news for star wars i think that will get us rolling for a while mm-hmm. um uh, especially when it comes to uh the well you know oh, you don't have on here about what ryan johnson said about uh about the uh continuity oh. so we're oh yeah let me get it i'll get okay, it okay yeah, we're gonna that's the one i was like looking forward to like you know saying you know, screaming from the mountaintop that I was right. Um, but anyway, but we got, yes, there's a, there's so, 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 wait, wait. so, so we got to talk about it because it makes you were right. That, yes. Yes. Vindication. I want vindication. All the crap that I spout on this show. I want people, I would, Ryan Johnson confirmed. I was Howard Johnson's right about Ryan Johnson being right. Reverend. Um, so uh but we got a lot of star wars uh, stuff to talk about but then we're going to recap uh the last um half of wandavision because that just finished on friday and um but yeah so let's first dive into some trivia and the star wars trivia trio pursuit the heck we got a low flying something over Gentilly here. I don't know. We're being invaded, guys. I don't know what's going on. Sorry. <laughs> I thought somebody was playing theme music for a second, and it's just, uh, I don't know. That's the aliens. Must be. <laughs> the UFOs. I'll let Luna deal with it. All right. So, Dave, who's the first clone commander shown getting the order from Darth Sidious to massacre Jedi? Commander Cody? The magic eight ball says you are correct. Yes, Commander Cody. Is Woo! he, he going to be? That there's been talks about him being in uh, the Kenobi series. I mean, you got Tamara Morrison, um, you know, and it could be, you know, him looking for the Jedi that you know he didn't get. I don't know. That might be kind of interesting. I've been seeing a lot of rumors and speculation about Kenobi. Overs. About what? I, I you, should, you froze up I there a little say, bit. 
Oh, I was going to say, I've seen a lot of rumors about Kenobi crossovers as well as Cassian uh, crossovers. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not going to write anything off at this point. Yeah. Like I said, you got Tamara Morrison already doing stuff and you can, you know, just have to, you don't really have even have to de-age him all that much, you know. Um, but anyway, all right. So Dave, Dave wins his round. All right, Fredo, what four words of warning for future trench runs does gold five communicate before he crashes into the death star holy cow is that four words they came from behind all right yeah i've had a long day guys i'm sorry it sounded like a lot more than four words there i was trying to help him out all right, maybe well, you got to remember, help. he's shouting this as he's getting shut down before he goes, ah, dives head first into the Death Star. You know, he can't be constant into the Death Star there. Yeah, but there's like that moment of static that you even put into your reenactment, which I loved. <laughs> <laughs> they came from behind. <laughs> All right, well, here's mine. First one I saw. Whose house band includes the musicians Max Rebo, Cy Snoodles, and Droopy McCool? That would be Jabba the Hutt. That it is. And uh, they all died on the sail barge, didn't they? Well, who's coming for them? That's the question. Who's rescuing them? Well, I'm just wondering if they if they died in the sail barge, uh, because because what, what, it would be really cool if they were now Boba Fett's house band. You know, that's all I'm saying. You know, musicians need a gig. You know, maybe they, you know. Yeah, you don't want to take Did a gig we... and all of a sudden somebody shoots up the place and be like, I'm not with them. This is just how it works. Yeah, I think they were playing. They were playing the sail barge, I believe. I was gonna say, like, how many of them did we actually see? I think I saw Max. Definitely saw Max, because yeah. he's playing music, and uh, that's when R2's, uh, you know, bartending, serving drinks. I will leave open the possibility that some of the other members of the band did were you know, were not on the sail barge. So that R that R two D two. Fredo, if I had, because there is the droid, the R2 Builders Club, and I would, I almost got my own, did I ever tell you guys this? I almost had my own fully functional, full-size R2-D2, because I, a friend of mine in Omaha had, the, he made his own, he had the plans, the plans you can get, you know, just, they're online, you can get them, whatever, but he had the plans, but I have no woodworking skills or mechanical skills whatsoever. So I went to, I was, you know, I was at the, the high school in the town we lived in and I went to the shop teacher, sorry, industrial tech. And I said, Hey, you know, if I paid for the materials, could, you know, you get your classes to put this thing together. He's like, Oh yeah. He said, we get project lead the way to do the repo- the, the robotics on the, in the mechanical stuff for it. And I was like, that's awesome. And then I moved to new Orleans. So that's, that's how, that's how that went. But if I had that full size R2-T2, I would make sure that I had the bar attachment because that would just be so wicked cool. Now I know that uh, for the the Detroit Depot at Cox's Edge, if you buy an R2, you can buy the little attachments that make it kind of like a serving droid, like the bartending droid, but I, I wouldn't trust a drink on that little plastic tray. So I think yours is a better plan. Full size, actually sturdy. But yeah, I had my own little sweatshop lined up, and then I moved to New Orleans. So I gotta say, when I was at Galaxy's, Galaxy's Edge, it, it pretty much it was cost prohibitive to do both, right? 
do the droid building and the lightsaber experience. And that lightsaber thing was just kind of a no brainer for me because I was like, the droids aren't life size. <laughs> I don't know why that was like a deal breaker for me, but it was, it just seems like such a, you know, compromise, I guess. I was like, I don't want to compromise. I want to like a real life, full-size thing you can so, buy a full-size r2 at galaxy's edge for like what 25 grand is that what it is <laughs> i think so it's like Hold something on. stupid like that so but i can tell you you can build one for a lot less but i mean it's you're putting in a lot of sweat equity unless you can line up your own little sweatshop like i had and yep. you know it is twenty five thousand dollars to buy your very own life-size r2d to a galaxy's edge so retire r2 <laughs> retire or anyway all right so we'll uh join our patreon so you can give us the twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> to get our own r2d2 that we can just like rotate ownership from month to month at each other's houses yeah so all right so fredo with that let's move on to some news let's get us rolling on uh okay we'll start with the easy stuff and then we'll get to the more enjoyable uh, talking points uh, this is not news, there's more rumor, although I think it's close to being confirmed. Uh, this from last week. Uh, Deadline was said reporting that actress Indira Varma from Game of Thrones and Rome and a bunch of other stuff was set to join Obi-Wan Kenobi series. They haven't given what her role is, they haven't given what the plot details are, they just simply say, hey, Ewan McGregor's back as Obi-Wan, Hayden Christmas is back as Darth Vader. They did also kind of mention other the previously reported rumors of some other characters in the cast sheet. So I'll go over them and I'll let you hear them to tell me what you think. Uh, first character is called Riley, a.k.a. Eve. It's a 20 to 25-year-old female co-lead, female BIPOC, whose character details are being kept under wraps. So Tia, Tia a 30s female supporting Harold, male, late 20s, 30s. There's a Star Wars name for you, Harold. Harold, and that's the comedic, quirky male. And then Bella, 40s, and her female. And for some of them, they're, you know, like, for the females they're looking for, Latin, Black, Indigenous people of color, actresses. Harold, they kind of leave it wide open because you need somebody quirky. (laughs) So they don't know if if, if their Obama's taken any of these roles or if it's a different role, but they're moving towards getting these roles. <laughs> That's just the worst thing, right? Doesn't that like just play into every stereotype that every uh, like social justice warrior criticism Star Wars ever gets? You know, it's like, okay, so this character must be, you know, a particular um, race. Whereas, well, this one is comic relief, so we can, you know, pretend it. You know, whatever. Oh, well, we're not even giving him a quirky Star Wars name. He's just Harold. 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 <laughs> what is it? He's the he's the hey. janitor at the cantina. You know, Harold the janitor. He's pushing a mop. You know, uh, I, and after uh, after I've made fun of, you know, I was like at the my when we were talking, uh, um, all the the Legends books, the EU books, and everything. I was like, you know, I said Star Wars names in literature is just horrible. <laughs> And so, okay, Aaron, we heard you. Now we're here's Harold. Next one's gonna be Paul, and or I think of the the uh, the Family Guy line. So, what is the least sexy male name? Keith. 
<laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get Keith. Um, with all due respect, to anybody named Keith out there. So okay, well uh, I don't know. I gotta, Especially I Keith gotta David. say I, I'm I'm wild about Harold. <laughs> maybe 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 he maybe he works in the square. You know, Harold Square. Where, Give my regards to Kenobi. Remember me at Herald Square. <laughs> Kenobi's going to be a musical, folks. <laughs> I'm into it. It's just something it different. Look, look, we already had Star Wars Dance as a video game. Why not have a whole cop rock style Star Wars TV show? Man. That's an old <laughs> reference, by the way. <laughs> Okay, so now that we've ruined Kenobi for everybody, I don't know. You know, that's just the thing. Is like, how do you even begin to think who these people are going to to be? Except, um, you know, Harold is going to be working at the junkyard, or you know, or like I said, as a janitor or something. Um, because, well, I mean, I guess the one caveat that I always throw is that Obi Wan chose Ben as his hiding name, and Ben's one of the most generic, basic kind of normal names that star wars has ever had yeah so. They only, they, well, so um you know the other thing that's going to be interesting is how they're going to explain away you know and and well, of course maybe it's just owen and Baru just kind of kept luke at you know a distance oh, you know from from him because luke described him as a you know strange old hermit that really nobody knows anything about just a strange dude that hangs out you know beyond the dune sea you know it's now he's that we're gonna have he's gonna have friends and you know and Harold, he knows you know so well you, you gotta you gotta figure every night again he has to make a run into town to get supplies at the very least go, so. go whomping and a whooping <laughs> right <laughs> we'll move away from harold though uh sent to other uh not rumors but kind of somebody interviewed uh over at tops winter con apparently they interviewed katie sackoff about bo katan's character so they asked her what animated characters she'd like to see come into live action. She said, Prey Vizsla, which would kind of be kind of difficult. I was going to say, any, well, I mean, we, they brought yeah. Maul back, but, you know, yeah, he's... He, well, he's got ball. no head. Well. He ain't got no head, Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so her quote is, I, lo- I love Maul. I think he's constantly coming back to life anyway. He's a really hard guy to kill, so you never know. Now, look, we, we pretty much know that he died at the end of when well, last time we saw him in Rebels. Uh, but she says, I think I would love to see some stuff with Prey Vizsla. That was such a fun storyline for Bo, and it was such a fun glimpse into uh, who she was, because she didn't necessarily start out on the right side of things. She didn't start out as uh, she thought she was doing the right thing, but that was opposite to what Vizsla was doing. Yeah, but did she not pay attention to the rest of the series where, like I said, Homeboy dies? It's like, yeah. you know... Well, the I, funny I, thing is that they also asked her about uh, her relationship, that Bo-Katan's character's relationship with Satine. She's like, oh, I'd love to bring her into live action too. And I'm like, she's bringing all these dead characters back to life. Although, I would say, maybe as a flashback, back to during the period in the Clone Wars, you know, some of the stuff that we don't see happen back when Obi-Wan and Anakin are away from Mandalore, it could act as a good example of, if you try to introduce all the dynamics that kind of separate or that split this, the various factions within Mandalore yeah, but... ahead of explaining 
to uh, Din Jaren. Okay, you're trying to you now wield the dark saber and you deal with all this drama. Let us explain to you all this drama. You know what? <clears throat> Pardon me. No, uh, flashback. Sorry, I coughed. You know what? Uh, what's interesting? I've heard people speculate that um, the armorer is actually one of the. Um, well, it, I can't remember. Gosh, what was her name in the comic? But anyway, she was right along Gar Saxon, um, oh, um, and and actually in the Clone Wars, Vanessa Marshall uh, voiced her. But anyway, they're saying that speculation is that that character, and forgive me, I can't remember the name right offhand, but is the armorer. So the armorer might, you know, come back into all this, which I mean, you know, then brings the whole Death Watch, you know, you know, everything into it. So uh anyway yeah it's it's i mean it's just you know that there's all this back history or you know background information that the audience that caught up with clone wars and rebels knows that the character of the mandalorian din Djarin, doesn't know so at some point all that's going to be because all of that's going to color the dynamics into season three with him and the dark saber and bo katan so maybe there's a way to bring previous slide satine into live action, just kind of juxtaposing and displaying their dyna- internal ah, dynamics and how much. Another another bad Star Wars name, Corky. Corky was uh, what For... uh, so that was Satine's brother, right? Corky, yeah, it's uh, Satine and Bo Katan's brother is Corky, and Corky died too. Yeah. <clears throat> so that was. Uh... There you go. We're getting all the bad names out of our system yeah, tonight. It, nephew. It's uh, yeah, Satine's nephew. Okay. Um, Stinky yeah, is an all-time bad name and, for and, a Star Wars character. And here comes Alfalfa and you know and Spanky. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you know, the, but the whole, however, the whole pre-Vizsla thing. Uh, I mean, it almost makes you wonder: Is it you know Katie Sackoff? You know, just you know, oh, yeah, I don't know, yeah. just throwing a speculating. A, no, just throwing a wink and a nod to John Favreau. I mean, it's like, hey, thank mm. you for you know giving me a gig, and you know, you know, of course, you know, Favreau would want a voice. You know the part he would he just would it's like in uh what was the line from uh um family guy uh empire strikes back when uh yoda says you know john favreau is a good guy puts himself in his own movies but you know <laughs> so not, not the big not the big role um but anyway so i mean hey i like i like the idea of where it's going like like that we're we've talked about this season three it's gonna be Mandalore. Okay, so relate it to Din. I mean, like, he has the potential to interact with all of these characters um, who are still around uh, within his new role, whatever that might be. But really, like, that needs to cut into who he really is and what his past is and where he's coming from. And if you tell that in a really interesting, intelligent way, then I'm all for it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's going to be interesting to see how they, because they must be writing it right now. I can't imagine that they're not uh, ahead of filming. But it's interesting because it's, it's a lot of stuff that, like I said, we as the fans are looking forward to, that they got to figure out the way to kind of present it all as well as presenting it to people who didn't watch a minute of Clone Wars or Rebels. You know, because there's a lot of people who are not going to know any of these names until they get set in the Mandalorian. You know, it'll be interesting though, because I just got thinking, it's like the, the, the Mandalore story has been told 
you know, in bits and pieces all over the place. It's, you know, in comics, it's in books, it's in, you know, TV series, whatnot, like I said, but just little, little smatterings here and there. Um, And it kind of gets into our discussion about, you know, WandaVision later is because I, I, a lot of stuff from the comics kind of lined up with WandaVision, but then kind of not, you know, they, they took their, took their liberties and I'm not, I'm not into that fandom. So I don't know how many people were up in arms about, you know, changing things. This wasn't the way it was in the comics or anything like that. We don't have to talk about that right now, but with the Mandalorian stuff, I don't, I don't, I'm guessing we probably won't get much deviation from what we've seen in the past because Filoni has got his thumb on it. You well, know, and, and the catch I would say is that with Marvel and the kind one division and the comics world, they're accustomed to multiple timelines, different universes, all that. The catch until Legends got excited, and even now, it's always been it's one storyline. If you play Knights of the Old Republic or you read the Tales of the Jedi comic books from Dark Horse back in the 90s, it was all supposed to connect to the movies and the Thrawn trilogy and these books that followed. And then, you know, Disney bought it and all the stuff got shoved into Legends, but the concept still exists that Clone Wars and Rebels and Mandalorian and then Ahsoka and all these shows that will follow after, got, they're all existing in the same plane. They can't be all, oh, you exist on this end of the universe and it's completely different and apart from this, so to speak, you know, not in a different universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, again, I'm all for it. I, 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 I just I have high expectations for this show at this point. I think The Mandalorian is a good show, and I've enjoyed watching it to this point. So it's like, okay, well, make it character based, please. You know, like fold in any character you want to, but let's make it about Din. And we know that he experienced the end of the Clone Wars from that one flashback that we saw. And so through his lens, you could tell that entire story in one coherent way, if you wanted to, and get at what makes him who he is. And I I would just love it. Okay, so I'll move us away from that to something a bit more serious as we transition uh, forward. Uh, Kelly Marie Tran did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter because she's actually the star and the lead in Disney's new movie, Ryan the Last Dragon. She is a Disney princess now. Yeah, She is now now officially, well, (laughs) she wasn't before. She's definitely now a Disney princess. Uh, but of course, they, you know, the subject in the interview, because they start talking to her about her process of how she voiced this character. Because, of course, I mean, she's doing this years ago and takes a few years to animate. But then the, the discussion naturally turns back around to Star Wars and kind of what happened, the backlash that she faced and um, her eventual decision to step away from social media and all that stuff. So uh, she made mentions that, uh, you know, at first she didn't thought, I mean, she thought it was, she didn't realize it was going to be such a big topic. Uh, She says, what's interesting to me about working in this industry is that certain things become so public, even if you don't really mean them to be. Like it was, you know, I did it for my own sanity. It was basically me being like, oh, this isn't good for my mental health. I'm obviously going to leave this. So that's her 
saying, I'm leaving Instagram, I'm leaving Twitter, I'm deleting, deleting all that. Uh, and then uh, she was, I mean, the horrible thing about it, she was in the middle of producing another, in the middle of another movie, and she had to go deal with all these emotions, all that was happening to her. Uh, of course, now she's uh, discussing the experience, and she goes, she kind of goes, like, she fell in love very publicly, and then had a very public and embarrassing, horrible breakup. Uh, she relied a lot on her close-knit circle of friends, and she says, uh, I left. I said no to a lot of things. It felt like I was just hearing the voice of my agents, my publicity team, people who were telling me what to say and what to do and how to feel. And uh, anytime that happens, I have to close up shop. I have to go away, really interact in the real world, read books, journal, go on hikes, and remind myself that there was a fire that burned inside of me before Star Wars before any of this, and I needed to find that again. So, I mean, in some ways, and the article, I mean, the interview is kind of on her side about a lot of things, because, I mean, look, she was and will be forever the first woman of color lead in a Star Wars movie. She's also one of the first Asian Disney princesses. So she understands that there's a lot of these labels that are going to get attached to her. Uh, you know, even if she sometimes goes, you know, I'm, I'm doing my role. This is what I got to do. But then she was also accepting of kind of her place right now. So she kind of has, she admits that she had to grow. Uh, uh, but then I'll kind of give a positive story about it because uh, Ryan Johnson discussing at the time, uh, she says she would introduce herself to everyone in the crew. She'd go around in the various departments asking what people were doing there. But uh, Ryan Johnson says she had turned around, she'd be helping sew feathers for the porgs. So that's kind of who she is. And uh it's in some ways it's it's i'm glad that she's kind of found the other end of all this but just going back and thinking man people put her through hell you know and that's the thing that sucks is that you know of course i i, I taught i taught high school band for 15 years and uh, obviously i loved band otherwise i wouldn't have taught it you know and i and i wanted i, I thought it was the best thing i did in high school and in college and then, you know, I wanted to pass that joy on to these, you know, these students that were coming up through my band and some just, it ended up being a miserable experience for, for them one way or another. And I always just felt like, uh, you know, this thing that, that I love so much, you know, was a miserable experience for this person. And that's the way I feel about this. It's like, uh, Star Wars should not be a miserable experience for somebody. You know what I mean? And it wasn't really Star Wars per se, but it was, I mean, the fandom is part of it. I mean, and again, it's just like, and I, I, I can understand getting off of, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. If you wake up every day and somebody's, you know, hurling a racial slur at you or, you know, saying you're ruining this, you know, their thing. iconic thing and not even their thing. This, this iconic thing in our culture, you know, Star Wars is, you know, huge. Um, and that would, I mean, that man, I, but hats off to her yeah. for, for having the strength to, to say, you know, no, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I don't blame her one bit at the time. It made perfect sense why she did it. Her explanation makes perfect sense as to why she did that. You know, it's like, I wouldn't deal with that either. I don't think I would want to deal with it either. And, and so, and, you know, and you know, you buried the lead too. I'll say one more thing. You buried the lead because she like was on the cover of the magazine too. Yeah, she's got this. And whole she, she looked fierce. She looked yeah. fierce, like like queen, you know. And I'm like, you go, you know. I'm I'm happy for you. 
Yeah, it was it was stunning cover. You know, then getting so not to trash you know the rise of Skywalker, but I mean that was one of those decisions where it's like, okay, with all due respect to Naomi Aki, I I love Jana, but there's no reason in the world why Rose could not have done filled filled that role and been on the you know on on the adventure with you know with everybody else. Um, it was. So that'll that'll probably lead into our other discussion here in a little bit, but yeah. um, you know, like I said, it was just that's the one thing that really rubbed me wrong about the Rise of Skywalker is that they just, you know, Rose was just, you know, pushed to the side. Yeah, no, and actually, well, I'll mention one more story before we get to that big one, but it's all ties in together, and I agree with you. I mean, there were, there were ways in which they could have done it, but I, speaking of Rise of Skywalker. I'll only mention that because we discussed it earlier in the week. Uh, in case you didn't know, Juna Suotabo is coming out with a book. Right now, it's actually just out of finish. It's called Roar Elamani Wukiana, a.k.a. My Life as a Wookiee. So it's kind well, of I know one this. word in Finnish now. All right. Yeah. Elamani Wukiana. Wukiana. Uh, and it says, but uh, so it, it actually gets into some of its stories and uh there was a thread on Twitter from a, uh, somebody you know, discussing about the book. Uh, Star Wars fans out there, you know. Apparently, like, the original fight in Solo was supposed to be much more brutal. It's like, Jonas says it was supposed to be more like Mortal Kombat, which, picturing Han versus Chu in Mortal Kombat does not do well, you know, with me. Like, I can't imagine it. Uh, but the big kind of story that kind of laid up that uh, was regarding uh, Rise of Skywalker. And how there was actually a scene in the script for when Chewie gets captured for Kylo Ren to torture Chewbacca. And it was filmed. And uh, the, uh, Juna says that in the book that it was very tough for him because Adam Driver was, quote, truly sociopathic in the role. And he wonders if the scene came out a bit too extreme for Star Wars or if it didn't fit to show Kylo being so dark ahead of his pivot back towards the light, you know, later on in the movie. I mean, you know, how are you going to reconcile torturing one of the two or three, 100% everybody's behind characters, and then, you know, 60 minutes later, oh, no, we're sorry. He's made his peace with the ghost of his dad, and now he's a good guy. I, I still have a problem with that, even though they they didn't show the torture of the Wookiee scene. You know, but I, the, I, the one you when you shared that with us, I mean, the first thing that went through my head was, you know, fair play you know going there and actually exploring that possibility it it would not have fit in a star wars movie but they were you know yeah and and you're right if it's like you can't then 20 minutes later make you know ben one with the force you know what i mean so you're yeah, yeah. um but like i said hats off for at least exploring that and going there but that would have i, I couldn't have i couldn't have handled that in the theater Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know what they were thinking. I still don't know what they were thinking, and I, it, it always comes back to this. But it's just, how can you say that your story is is in in an intentional way is meant to be about Ben Solo's redemption. return and redemption, and have him kill the family, and then dog. have a have a scene like that in there makes no sense whatsoever 
I mean, killing Han is one thing. It's horrible. And that was, we said it way back when. That was their efforts to make sure you knew he was the bad guy. But they brought him back towards the light. But that was two different, two movies before. You can't have him in the same movie. Like, literally, torturing Chewbacca is like kicking your pet. It's like beating up your best friend. It's like, like people would have revolted on the, on the theater screen. In the theaters, if that had happened, like I don't know, I don't know how you bring him back from that. So, which like, mean, you you know, my take on this whole sequence was just like they should have killed him. Well, they they they're like we're gonna kill him, and then no, we're walking it back. It's like well, it would have been narratively interesting if you had made that stick, and it's the same deal with. A torture sequence, which I don't think anybody wanted to see, but it would have been something different. But at that point, you box yourself into a corner. You're not going to redeem Ben Solo after you do something like that. It's just like, it just feels like they were throwing ideas against the wall. And like, oh, we're going to film this and then maybe we'll use it or maybe we won't. So let me bring in the story that, that Aaron's chomping at the bit to get to, because uh, this is from LRM Online. But basically, Saria Wilson, the author, has continued her interview, releasing snippets from an interview with Ryan Johnson. So she asked Ryan Johnson, point blank, did you know that Ben was going to die when you were making The Last Jedi? Did you know that from the beginning? He goes, no, I did not. And she goes, it, me irritated because I realized that killing Ben Solo was not always the plan. Ryan notices my expression of sad disgust and laughingly asked me what that was for. She says, now she admits, I had a lot of feelings about that ending. She was wearing that Ben Solo deserved better t-shirt, which made him laugh more. He, he explained that it was very much a full handoff between seven and eight, just it was from eight to nine. He says, Ryan did his best to tee up a bunch of things, and try to bring eight to a point where there are a lot of places the story could go. He said he didn't want to be unfair to the next director and leave a lot of possibilities. He wasn't trying to be for a specific outcome for the series. Quote, but to have lots of dramatic potential for episode nine, end quote. He answered his question again by saying he didn't know whether Kylo would live or die, then quickly correct himself to say he didn't know whether Ben would live or die, and how the series would resolve. So in other words, there was never an overarching plan for this trilogy. It was just with this is what I got from the last guy before me. I'm gonna do my thing. I'm gonna hand it off to the next guy. That's it. See, and that, you know, that that's what's so frustrating about it. I, I'm the, that's just what is so frustrating. I appreciate artistic license, but it's like you know, even record companies say, "Make whatever Christmas album you want," but we want a Christmas album. You know what I mean? It's or you know, we it, make whatever album you want, but we we want this type of stuff that i mean so i don't think that is especially when you're dealing with i mean the franchise is not jj abrams or ryan johnson's you know it's it and and so just to say you know write whatever you want without any sort of guidance is just it's a failure on lucasfilm um so yeah, I mean, it, and and like I said, duh, it was obvious. Now the other part of that didn't in that same interview didn't he confirm that that uh, Raylo actually was a thing? Yeah, and, he had, and that's he had another thing that is still, and we're going to talk about it on a later episode. But I still, uh, that 
I do not like that. I don't care if that's what Ryan Johnson said he was going for. That make then he needs to look at what he wrote because that's an abusive relationship from the get go, and then for it to turn into this, oh, he is just you know he was, even though he was torturing Chewie thirty minutes ago, he's you know so uh, um, misunderstood and yay now I'm going to kiss him. It's like when we're trying to you know. Uh, uh, Sorry, I'll save that for the other episode. But I mean that it's just it's just an awful relationship and for it to be having, you know, it was supposed to be a thing. No. Uh, but anyway, that yeah, so yes, it was obvious that the that Lucasfilm gave no guidance. But and I think it kind of goes more to what Dave was saying regarding the chewy torture scene. It's like, let's throw something and see does it work? Do we like it? How does it make us feel? Okay, no, we we know we, it's not gonna work right now. Maybe in some earlier draft of the script it worked but then that probably that script probably had a different ending which kind of tells you that if they i mean if they get to the point where you're building a set putting the actors in there and making full makeup you felt comfortable enough with that scene being in the movie that you thought okay at the very least we're gonna have it ready to go and if we decide to excise it later we'll excise it later but we want at least to have that option and usually with, I mean, time is money in movies, so you're not doing all that for something you're just going to throw away cavalierly. You have, you're supposed to have some sort of idea of where this is all going to go. And I don't know that they necessarily did. I think they were just, you know, by the time they got to episode nine, they're very much, these are the points we want to end. Get there however you can. Do you think um, people can have whatever viewpoints on these movies that they want to have right and they come into this and they think there there are people that think rise of skywalker is is a better movie and an improvement on last jedi because last jedi just left them cold there are people within the fandom who believe in raylo and think that it's a it, as presented uh could could lead one to believe like oh this could be a decent relationship but you know, reasonable minds can differ on all of this, but like when you look at it from a perspective of the Skywalker saga, right? That's how it's marketed. Mm -hmm. um, it was the saga episodes one through six originally, and they added seven, eight, nine. And it's like, it's supposed to be one coherent story. I mean, that's, that's how it's marketed. That's what they sold us. And seven eight nine had no plan. It had and, no plan. Yeah, uh, and it makes me go back to the whole idea that Lucas had some uh, some plot details that he wanted to share with Disney, and Disney went, "Nope, we want a clean break from what you've done. We want to do our, our own thing. We're going to hire our own creators. We're going to do our own uh, group. You know, put it together. We're going to make this happen on our own. But we are still going to." continue the story because again we go back decisions made you didn't need to continue with episode seven as a continuation of the story you could very well have said look skywalker saga one through six we're done but we're gonna do something like the hot republic or something pre or we're gonna go they, they, they wouldn't have they, the would, they wouldn't have got people coming to the uh to the show like that they, it had to be that again the candy well, to you, get you, want in the that, van. you want that Han scene chewy we're home well yeah you don't you you don't say hey we're bringing back star wars and it's gonna be you know totally it 
they wouldn't have got they got the audience for Force Awakens because it was so fan servicey. But that being said, they could have started with seven that way, and they could have then gone nuts in eight and nine if they would have had a coherent line through them. There's a way you can do that. You know, we've talked about it before. I'm sorry to repeat myself, but you know, Han, Leia, and Luke could have all been just killed off after seven because we were invested in Ray, Poe, and Finn at that point. You know, maybe maybe keep Luke around for eight, fine, whatever. But that, nobody else had to be there. You know what I mean? And because um, they were just to get us invested in these new characters. But yeah, there was no plan. I mean, it's like when I was in a band. There were when we first started. I would just, you know, I I never wrote up any set lists. We'd get to the gig and there, I'd just call out whatever tune kind of I felt. And guess what? Those shows sucked. You know, it, it was not enjoyable for people to listen to. It was, you know, there was a lot of fumbling on stage. There was like, okay, I got to get this instrument. I got to get that. And then when I started writing out set lists, it was like, B, gee, wait, gee whiz, folks. You know, it's like our, our shows are better. I wonder why. But, you know, it's like writing a paper. If you write an outline, guess what, kids? Your paper is going to be, you know, regarded more by your teacher. It's going to get a better grade. It's going to make more sense if you write an outline rather than just start writing stream of consciousness from your computer. Um, so, yeah. Well, you know, both of what you guys just said is true. Like what Fredo said is like, if you want to tell like an interesting story and not have a plan at all, you can just do a standalone film. And what Aaron, you said is true. It's like, you're not going to do that because you want to maximize the amount of money that you can make. So you have to go seven, eight, nine. So it's like, Okay, so once you make that call, once you decide, well, this is the way we really kind of have to go, you need a plan. <laughs> you need a plan. And then <laughs> this is why I harp on this. And this is why I feel like almost offended that they didn't have any kind of a plan down on paper because it's like, but devil's you advocate. guys decided that this was the way to go and then you didn't make it happen you know and so talking out both sides of my mouth and devil's advocate here you know it's like okay to to say that george lucas had a plan is not being very genuine you know what i mean it's like he says he had a plan but i mean come on there's no way that he knew that that luke and leia were brother and sister you know he had an idea he had kind of sketched out some ideas of you know where anakin you know came from and stuff like that but one, two, and three were never totally fleshed out until he got to writing them in the late 90s, you know? So, um, but I will say this, at least it was one person who was kind of playing around with this idea of a story. So it made a little bit more, it was more cohesive. You know, here it was just, so yeah, Lucasfilm, and again, you guys spoiled me now on Marvel because there are people working their butts off to make sure that there is continuity between you know, these movies, you know, and they do it with a gazillion movies. We're only talking about three with the, with the same characters, you know, it's like, it's not, it shouldn't have been that hard of a deal. Um, but, uh, you, to your point, four, five and six, you're right. Like that wasn't the original plan. He deviated considerably. We've talked about how he's changed things over and over after the movies are released, he's changed things. Um, but I just like maybe that makes him a creative genius. The fact that he didn't have a plan 
and four, five, and six came together as beautifully as they did. I mean, like maybe that's we we should be singing his praises more. But like, I mean, come on, eight, eight and nine are just they like they don't they don't connect. I mean, it just it doesn't. It's wholly different characters. It's it's what's interesting. Yeah. Like if, if you look at the characters of episode, even from seven to eight, and then from eight to nine, you know, they don't feel like they're the same people now. You can say in some instances they've grown, they've adapted, whatever they've, you know, they've become more who they were supposed to be. But again, it's not like a, it's not like where you saw Luke from episode four to episode five, and then the Luke in episode six looks nothing like the guy you first met. But you know why that is. You've connect the tissue, you know, the lines going from four to the character that you're meeting, you know, in episode six at Jonas Palace. Is that guy is just you know okay he's grown up, so uh, it's difficult. I mean it's you know in some instances you want to sing the praises of George Lucas because he got it he got so much right and then go yeah but there was so much some other stuff he didn't get right but luck sometimes comes into the equation. I wonder how much different all of this is if Colin Trevorrow doesn't get asked to leave episode nine if he gets to make his episode nine will that be better been better would that have been worse would have connected better if jj abrams doesn't have to come in last minute and basically okay we can't do none of this we're just you know winging it because that's all the time we have because we are literally locked until the christmas 2019 release date we have to come out of that date that's the only hard rule that we have i don't know that but, that was the biggest mistake right i mean like we've talked about that. Like just, they just rushed. They were rushed. They didn't yeah. have time to build the script the way that they needed to. And again, figure it, out. It, Go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. You know, um, so the writers for these movies, it's very similar to, you know, uh, musicians of the, you know, the classical and the Baroque era, you know, where you had a patron, you know, some high muckety muck. Well, wanted, wanted music, for his his party on boats on the Thames, and so he got Handel to write water music. That's literally what it was for. Handel wrote music for this boat party, and called it water music. And it's one of the most you know famous pieces of music that you'll listen to. Same thing, music for the royal fireworks, the music that was played at my wedding. That was Handel that wrote that for guess what, folks? A fireworks celebration that the king was having. You know, and and so they had parameters. It's like, I want you to write music for this gig that uh, this shindig I'm throwing. So, you know, he didn't tell him what to write note for note, but music for the Royal fireworks can't be something that's going to put people to sleep. You know, otherwise your patron's not going to pay you. So Lucasfilm needs to maybe start behaving a bit more like, you know, a patron. It's like, okay, we want you to write a movie, but here's, you know, within these broad parameters we need to get like we've talked about a gazillion times a to b um but it, it just seemed it was just it seemed way too hippie-ish like whatever man just write your movie. you can do you can do both i mean you really can like when we're talking about connective tissue connecting to these other stories and making a, a, a you know a narrative that goes from point a to point b it's like yeah you can do that you can do standalones too so you, it doesn't have to be one or the other. You you can have Ryan Johnson do, you know, creative, weird, 
experimental stuff over here in the corner. And then you can have, you know, the Skywalker saga over here. Um, it doesn't have to be one or the other. And that's, I guess, like, that's where I'm frustrated because it's like seven, eight, nine. I mean, uh, we've been so, over and over. Yeah, but oh. here's, here's the other thing is that it, it doesn't even really take Lucasfilm, as I think about this. Then you have to be Lucasfilm to say, to dictate certain things. Uh, this is why I still want J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson on the same stage whatever 15 years from now and telling the story because i i want to know when ryan johnson got hired did he then have a meeting with jj abrams and lawrence kasdan and say all right so where if you were writing eight what what do you think you where would you go not that ryan had to take that advice but what where, where would you go if you were writing eight well here's some ideas we had blah 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 or when Ryan gets done, he's, you know, and JJ's going to, you know, do nine, you know, to say, all right, where, where, where did you see these things going? And like I said, you don't have to take those ideas verbatim, but at least you see where that trajectory is and you go, okay, that gives me kind of a direction of where to go. Cause I got my own ideas over here. I can connect those two. And, you know, I don't know, that just seems to be kind of the responsible thing. No, no, I was just going to say, I mean, and what's, what's incredible is maybe the more incredible aspect is the difficulty that they had in making this happen, juxtaposed against how effortless, effortlessly Marvel under Kevin Feige makes it work. You know, one is three movies. That's all we're making. Okay, there was a resistance at a minute TV show, but by and large, it's three movies that we're making that come in every two years. Kevin Feige is running a, a machine that's just cranking out product every six months. Here comes your new movie. You get your new movie around February and your new movie around May and your new movie around 4th of July. And now you're going to get TV shows, one in the spring and one in the fall and one you know, every now and again. And the quality doesn't drop even though it's a hundred different things and a hundred different chefs cooking at a hundred different restaurants. Whereas Lucasfilm had, okay, we're going to hire JJ Abrams, Ryan Johnson, and initially Colin Trevorrow before they went back to JJ Abrams. And they're like, look, make us three movies. That's all you're asking them. And it proved such a difficult thing for them to do. I saw somebody like tweet out something similar to that effect, which was basically, um, I, I simultaneously find that Star Wars touches on human issues and philosophical issues in, in a much more nuanced and interesting way than, than Marvel movies right. by very wide margin. And I simultaneously am sitting here saying, why can't you connect your movies in the same way that Marvel does? I don't know. But maybe that's a decent transition for us into our main topic. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm out of beer, so I can't, it's just, you know, I can't rail on the sequel trilogy anymore. You know, I, I still enjoy the movies though, you know, but you're, but, but it is, it's just one of those things where it is just kind of like, you know, don't, uh, don't try and tell don't don't lie to me and tell me that oh palpatine was the thing all along don't don't lie to me 
you know it's like it doesn't it we saw it for what it was you know what i mean that's the thing that's frustrating it's like they tried to sell us on oh this is the plan all along no it wasn't it's like i meant to do that you know (laughs) we've all we've all said that uh but anyway all right so yes marvel wandavision um the so the the series not just the season but the series finale we'll talk about that maybe a little bit i got question but um so the the series finale uh was this friday um but when we last talked about wandavision we covered about the first half of the season so i'm going to give just a a brief uh little synopsis of the last four episodes um episode six was the all-new halloween spooktacular and um they it's just halloween in westview and um yeah, we'll just we'll just we'll just kind of go from there. Then uh, episode seven was breaking the fourth wall. This was um, where we end up finding out um, who Agnes is. It was Agatha all along, right? That was in this episode. So we That's found right. out she is the uh, the the witch. And then uh, was inter- and um, at the end of that episode, by the way, on breaking the fourth wall, we get the uh, um, the post credit scene of of uh um monica monica yeah breaking into agnes's house and then getting caught by uh pietro um and then it got frustrating for me because in episode eight pre it was called previously on and this was basically agatha or slash agnes being the therapist for wanda and you know going through all of her past traumas but we see nothing of monica that whole episode. That episode was great if you think back to all the clip shows that, particularly TV shows that have run for a long time, like The Simpsons or any show that's run for more than 100 episodes. At some point in their history, they start doing a clip show episode where they just you know yeah. take footage from other episodes to put it back in. That's basically what the idea is. And so it's very a neat way of kind of doing that. Yeah, but, but also exploring so, Wanda's psyche and history. So I'll just go through the last two, then I'll then I'll take issue with some things here, um, because we ha- that was previously on. So yeah, we go through uh, and we actually find out that Wanda has always been a witch. She didn't get all of her powers from the Mind Stone. She um, was she was a witch from the get go. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Um, so we're, we're led to believe that it was through Von Strucker's experiments that she got all of her powers, but not, not the case. And then the last one, the series finale, um, this is just a big fight between Agatha and, uh, and, uh, Wanda. And we see white vision, you know, take on not real vision. I don't know. Um, it, it gets pretty deep in their, in their, uh, interactions, but, um, and so we, we find out that what Wanda created this whole thing um, as basically dealing with the grief of losing vision. Um, so first of all, I want to say that is th- this whole, I uh, talk about, I, had, I don't know what my expectations were for this series, but now seeing it as basically a dramatized, you know, lesson on dealing with grief you know is it's it you forget that it's a comic book thing here but it's just um 
it's just very well done from that perspective. You know, um, I, I used to say, you know, me getting up and running in the morning, I'd go through all seven stages of grief. You know, it's like there's, you know, anger and there's bartering, you know, there's bargaining, there's um, denial and all these things. You see all that in, in WandaVision. So that was very interesting. But I will say my, my biggest problem, though, was that I knew it. This last episode, they tried to cram in too much crap and tried to wrap up everything in, in too short of an episode where they could have done it in the previous two episodes. They could have started start getting into that. So that's my one big criticism because, like I said, we see the post-credit scene with Monica Rambeau going into Agatha's house, and then you don't see anything from her from the next, you know, in the next episode. Then in the final episode, she's trapped in this room. Why is she trapped in that room? Why can't she get out? Well, well yeah, you can... I'm 48 years old. I can figure out it's because it's a witch, you know? <laughs> you know, but... But still, it's like we got to hurry up and and tie up all these loose ends. And like I said, the the white vision thing could have come earlier, um, just to give us a little bit more time to play with. And I wonder if because you've got nine episodes at what an average of let's just say an average of thirty. Four. Let's just say let's just say thirty minutes. Okay, even though that's cutting it short, eight episode eight nine episodes. Of, so you're talking th- three movies. Right. You know, but really you're telling one story. And I wonder if that gets people just taking their time at the beginning. It's like, you know, I've got a long race. And so I'm just going to start off kind of slow. And then all of a sudden in the last mile, I realize people are passing you up. And you're like, oh, crap, I got to run faster. That's what it kind of felt like. Um, so I just wish they would have taken their time a little bit more with the, you know, the resolution to all this so anyway that's i'm 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 done yammering here but that that was that was my love love the series but it was just i feared that it was going to be too much of a we got to hurry up and tie all the knots so what'd you guys think what'd you guys think how do you think this uh ended up i loved it um again I, i don't think there were a lot a lot of these issues that Wanda experienced in the comics are very um, comic booky. Um, does this translate well? You look at her outfit; um, they had a nice play off of that in, in the Halloween episode, and then again they revisited it in the final episode. Something as basic as that as costume design. They're like, well, here, you know, we're we're going to make this ridiculous looking outfit into something that you got you can wrap your arms around as, as a member of the audience and say okay i'm rolling with this this is cool um and they did that with so many aspects of her story um alternate reality you know your children who don't exist um conjuring you know your lover out of thin air um witchcraft uh, how you deal, how you fold witchcraft into a, a quote unquote realistic universe. Um, you know, it's just, I didn't think that they would take it as far as they did in, 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 in any of those sorts of respects. And it like that they did excites me because it's like, okay, this is, this is a challenge basically for a filmmaker and a group of filmmakers to take this on and say, we're going to do this and you're going to buy it. 
And amid all the fantastical stuff that you talked about, like I said, they told a very relatable human story. Yeah. Yeah. About grief, like you said. And, and, and that makes her entirely relatable. And we're going to talk about, I'm sure we're going to talk about the end and how like, <laughs> how like she just walks away from this. Um, but like you relate to her, she never becomes the villain. And, you know, even Agatha, to a certain degree, you're like, well, she's not even, like, the true villain here. Um, yeah, she's the antagonist, can, but she's not the villain. Absolutely, yeah. Right. You can understand where she's coming from. So, I, you know, um, typical MCU in, in basically all of those ways. It's like, you're going to fold me in and believe in the unbelievable and I'm going to just go with it because these characters are very human and relatable. And yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I'm not going to deviate much from what you guys kind of said in regards to overall impressions. I think at first I was surprised when they announced the show, just because honestly, both Wanda and the vision have been ter not even secondary tertiary characters. They've gotten a moment here in somebody else's movie and a moment there in an Avengers movie. Uh, I think their biggest contribution remained up until now was Age of Ultron, which, if you look back, is the least liked of all the Avengers movies. So kind of, they've never had a moment to the spotlight. They've always been secondary to somebody's story or, oh, we need, we need you to come along. We need you to come along. So we're drafting you. And they may get a few lines, but they're never actively involved in some of the resolution of the stuff, because granted, a lot of the movies are more folk were more focused in the original Avengers and uh, whatnot. So to give them their own show, give them their own space, kind of get into their heads, get into the characters, to use it as the first step out, which I know wasn't. See, this kind of goes to the brilliance of Marvel. One Division was not the original first after uh, Phase Four ended. It was supposed to be Black Widow. Yeah. And that got kicked back because of the pandemic. But I think this, in some ways, lands even better as the first step for the MCU going forward, just because it allows for that moment of um, looking inwards, of, of, of looking within at the impact that a lot of, because a lot of the movies that we see now, Marvel has done a good thing in some of the movies in exploring the aftermath, the after effects of all this heroing and fighting and all the sacrificing that they've done. Like Iron Man 3 deals with PTSD that Tony Stark has and Civil War deals with the loneliness and abandonment issues that uh, Steve uh, Rogers has, you know, feeling like he's sacrificed so much he's literally got nothing else but the former brainwashed best friend of his. Um but this, you know, so the idea of exploring Wanda's character, exploring the vision, of getting into, okay, these are characters who have lost a ton of stuff. They're lost, I mean, Wanda's lost family. And I love the fact that in that look flashback episode, they show you that moment that they reference in Age of Ultron, where the bomb that says Stark Industries lands in the living room and leaves them trapped there for days. Uh, you know, the idea she lost her brother and she gets to see him again. Uh, the idea of she lost her lover. <laughs> Here she is again. So it's totally the same. I was telling you guys, it's it's the first show that I've seen on a comic book grand scale 
that deals with complicated grief, with the idea of the grieving process and being caught in a loop of just grief where you can't process and move forward. And that's surprising because most, you know, most genre stuff doesn't come near this stuff because it's it's very difficult to portray. And they did it in a way that was enjoyable. They did it in a way that people connected with it. They did it in a way that people were able to mean, but they still were able to get the message. And I think that, you know, kudos to their creators for it. Well, and whoever wrote the line, what is grief, if not love persevering, mm-hmm. like deserves an, an award of some sort. Um, but, you know, and to Fredo, to your point, the, the cool, it, it's it's kind of like you're, tell, you're telling a joke and you're getting people laughing and then all of a sudden you start talking about a painful experience. You, you know, that's, that's, there are, there are ways you see motivational speakers do this all the time, right? Or keynote speakers, they're talking about really positive things. And then all of a sudden we're in serious land, you know, then they take you back into some lightheartedness and then we're back into serious land. You know, I saw it in, like I said, keynote addresses at, you know, teaching conventions that I went to all the time. Um, yeah, you know, they tell, like I said, they tell jokes and then get to the, get to their point. And that, that's kind of what they did. You can't just like, here's a story about death and grief and, you know, nobody's going to watch WandaVision. So, um, yeah, you're right. They did it in a great way. Um, so question for you guys, the, let's just talk about some things that are kind of hanging out there. The dark hold, which is the book that Agatha's working with and everything, is that the book that is missing from Dr. Strange's, the library in Dr. Strange, you know, the forbidden section, there's one book that is checked out or missing out of, out of there. And it's, do you think it, do you think it's the dark hold? Because she even references the Sorcerer Supreme. And I felt like it's kind of like Tim Rupert, you know, had the, uh, or Rupert had the, uh, he said, he laughed about me saying the Eddie Haskell thing, you know, last week on last week episode. And he had the meme of, Captain America saying, I got that reference, you know, it's like, I, uh, I, I got that reference. Uh, so anyway, um, but do you, do you think that that's, uh, the dark hole was that from that, uh, it wouldn't surprise me. It was, and it's, a, and it's a good way to connect Wanda even further with Dr. Strange and the next movie. Cause you could always say, well, wait a minute, he's been gone for five years and now he comes back and kind of similar to how Age of Ultron was like, wait, we kind of lost some of this stuff when S.H.I.E.L.D. went away. Well, Dr. Strange's been gone for five years. Now some of his stuff has gone missing <laughs> and it's powerful and dangerous and really shouldn't be out there. So let's go get it. So it's a good way to bring him back into her fold because you know, there's going to be a way to bring them together. That's now, to that point, let's, so we'll throw this over to Dave. The, po- the post-credit scene, the, the last post-credit scene, um, where we see Wanda sitting on the porch of a cabin and then walking into the cabin, and then the camera goes right past her as she's getting tea, and it goes back into a room, and you see Wanda as the Scarlet Witch doing an astral projection um, a la Doctor Strange, but uh, watching, I can't remember if it was Screen Crush or um, New Rockstars. I can't remember what on YouTube, but they uh, pointed out that this is different than when Doctor Strange did it because when Doctor Strange was doing the astral projection, it was so that he could sleep, so his corporal body was never doing anything. Here, Wanda's drinking tea and hanging out and watching nature and doing going about her day while the astral projection is um 
you know, studying and studying. growing. So, so is is Wanda? Um, I guess Agnes says it that you're more powerful than the Sorcerer Supreme, right? Mm-hmm. So possibly, you know, and you wonder too if she's showing the proper respect to you know this sort of teaching and and understanding it because again, like Strange was kind of flippant and cocky and arrogant in his whole uh, deal, but again, like you said, he was you know he was trying to cram as much study in as he could, and that was the way for him to do it. She's not like you said; she's like drinking tea. <laughs> She's hanging out. She's like, oh, you know, I, I got a way to do th- two things at once. I don't really have to study. It makes you wonder if she's like cutting corners or something like that. Um, but I will say this. And if I don't know if you guys saw this. And again, Kate pointed that my wife, Kate, pointed this out to me. You hear the voices of her kids. Yeah. yeah. In that scene. Mm-hmm. And that indicates that she's tapping into like alternate realities or different dimensions. And that's, that's a huge tease for, you know, the new Dr. Strange movie. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And you, when you hear at the end and you hear the mom help us from the two little boys, you're like, okay, so she might be looking to find a way to, you know, make, have her cake and eat it too, so to speak, punch a hole in reality and, save her two non-existent kids who are trapped someplace in some other dimension of reality and what's the cause of that what's you know what's she gonna do to get that piece of herself back so to speak and uh it's you know it it portends both greatness but also danger because you start punching holes in the fabric of reality and who knows what's going to come out yeah, well, Tony Stark said something. What is it? if you mess with time, it tends to mess back. Is that what he said? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, uh, okay. So, other. So now, now is she going to be again not necessarily villain, but is she going to be an antagonist then in the Doctor Strange movie? Do you think, or is she going to be on Doctor Strange's team? Um, there, I mean, Agnes was setting us up that you know she that Scarlet Witch is a bad guy. And again, I'm so now I'm I'm beyond I'm at my limits now. I do not know the Scarlet Witch story of you know the comic books. So you guys are gonna have to learn me something here. But um, um, I don't know. Is she going to be villain or antagonist or? But what's interesting is originally she started as a villain. When you first meet her and Pietro, they're villains in the. In Age of Ultron, yeah, sure. In in the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants with their dad, Magneto. And eventually they come to the side of the good guys and become Avengers. It's funny that they're both mutants, but they were never in the X-Men. They were always Avengers. So, again, it's kind of speaking to the character arc of Wanda in the comics. She's gone up and down. She's been both victim and villain, good, good girl and bad girl. She has done it all, so... This is different in the MCU because they've established that they follow their own storyline. They're not they're taking from the comics, but they're not necessarily beholden. So they could very well have it where she starts out as not necessarily a villain, but not necessarily a friend. Yeah. Where I mean, because look, it was there was an interesting comment somebody she made. She could be Lando. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, could very well be the uh, magical Lando of the MCU. 
but she's just out for herself. But it was interesting that I forget which one of the uh, pieces wrote about regarding the the after effects of what she did to the town of Westview, New Jersey. She did kidnap them, technically speaking. She did force them to perform against their will in her little plays. And then one day, you know, when it was all done, she was, okay, we're done. Bye. Thank you. I'm out. You know, there could very well be a situation where Dr. Strange tries to track her down and goes, uh, can you come back and fix some of the mess you left here? You can't just simply, you know, how is it somebody said, might violate the minds and spirits of, of a whole town for weeks on end and then think you can just walk away. So there could be a way where they could be both start as antagonists to one another, but maybe get to upper, you know, an uneasy alliance at some point. Who knows? It all comes down to what they're doing with the boat, with the movie. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Um, you know, the thing about the uh, Marvel that that is so good about what they do is they they put these threads in into the, into basically all of their m- movies in this series, and they and they basically give themselves the option of paying it off. You you're not beholden, like you said, you're not beholden to the original stories or the comics, but you're tipping people off. Who, who've read some of this stuff or have been following along um, like, oh, you know, this thing could mean that you're going to get this other thing later on, but it may not mean that at all. And so we, you know, it's beautiful for the weekly serial <laughs> style of show because everybody's like, oh, water cooler theories. Uh, the very next week, we're all sitting around talking about like, what's going to happen? I, this is my theory. I think it's going to be this, you know, and it d- doesn't necessarily have to go any sort of direction that we think. I, I mean, like, I was convinced the um, the the cameo was a real thing, and it turns right. out they were just pulling everybody's chain. It, it was Paul Bettany. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was White Vision. Yeah, yeah, and it was just like, oh, oh, okay. Um, but you know, it's fun. Uh, that was a thing. Uh, there so, was a there was a person in witness protection. Yeah, that was what got that Jim, that's what yeah. got Jimmy Woo there in the first place. Mm-hmm. That never got paid off. And again, they have the option; they could pay that off later in a, in a different movie or television sh- series if they wanted to. But it's like they have all these different threads hanging, and you're like, okay, what does this mean? And are they going to do it this way? And what's really sort of remarkable about that is that I don't, generally speaking, I don't come away feeling disappointed with what they did. And I also am not able to necessarily predict what they're going to do. Um, Sometimes things, there's writing on the wall. Like you said, Aaron, you can kind of see Wanda's turning herself into an antagonist here, potentially. We, we know what she's done to all of these innocent people. She's, safe, she's faced no consequences for that. She's now dabbling in the dark arts in, in a way that may or may not be appropriate. Um, we know she's going to be in the Doctor Strange film. It's like they're kind of like leading you down that path. They're saying like, this is what's going to happen. But then there's there's so much other stuff that they do that you think, oh, I predict it'll be this. And then it's not that. And so like 
I come away feeling really gratified that none of this is necessarily predictable. And it's just like, and it, it comes from that respect of the source material, but not feeling like beholden to it. So now I'm going to ask you to predict because I want to talk about the, uh, <laughs> the, the title of the last episode, the series finale. Um, and actually I will predict, I don't, I, I think we will get another Scarlet Witch Disney plus series. I think WandaVision is done, but I mean, I, I think it's, they would be foolish. Not, I think they're, it'd be, it'd be a great venue for, to continue that story. Um, to, like I said, so it, was it, was it that we're done with, do you think we're done with the Scarlet Witch on Disney plus, or do you think there's going to be another thing? What's your, what does your gut tell you? I think, I think we're going to get another, uh, t honestly, I, until you guys mentioned that it was titled the series finale, I fully thought we're going to get another season or continuation because it makes so much sense, not only from the threads that have been left open, but from where some of the stuff that really may not fall into the purview of another project. I mean, look, like the stuff with Monica, you know that some of that's going to transition to Captain Marvel 2. So I'm okay with it leaving it where it ended. You know where it's going to head. Well, it's actually um, some of it that's probably going to be from what some people are talking about, it's going to be maybe pushed even into um, Eternals. No, Secret Invasion. Mm -hmm. Secret Invasion. Secret Invasion. Be right, which could be the next Avengers movie. Because it was the first post credit scene where uh, Monica is talking to who turns out to be a scroll, um, mm -hmm. saying he he's up there and he's ready to talk to you type of thing, meaning Nick Fury. I haven't even I've seen that post credit scene from uh, Spider Man. Uh, yeah, far from home. Far from home. I haven't, yeah. but um, so I've seen that post credit scene. So we know that he's working with scrolls. Um, so it could it could be a little bit of both, right? Yeah. Yeah, but but there's I mean, like I said, some of the after effects of what Wanda did, what happens with Vision. I mean, we're white Vision. What I did love the moment where they just start discussing the ship of Theseus. Okay, so that, that, that is that is my question. <laughs> there's still stuff left for us to come back to where, one another. TV but show. but that's what that what that was what was frustrating about this last episode was that again, mm -hmm. just hurry. All of a sudden, white Vision's gone. It's like. Okay, I understood the conversation they were having. You know, mm -hmm. you know, it, they're the paradox of you know both are the real ship and neither are the real ship. And then he says, "I am Vision," and then he gone. And it's like, well, little a little explanation, you know, just just a little bit because where where did he go? What's what's going on? So this is Aaron actually asking a question. Do you guys know what was up there, or where did he take off to? He just took off, I think. Uh, I mean, realistically, he's regained his connection to his character. So when he says ambition, he really is vision. Except he's not the vision we've seen for the last nine episodes. So he has none of the connections that the vision he was fighting within the, the Hex has. Unless maybe the other vision put him in his brain. I don't know. So the idea is he's got to go and reconnect with who he was. I mean, he's been dead. He's been dead. Put, you know, taken apart and put back together in five years. You know, and Dave, you know, you talk about all loose ends. Hayward is a is a loose end as well. Mm -hmm. You know, sword. It's just okay. Now he's being hauled away. All right, 
good uh, the, the, <laughs> you know the white vision thing i i equate that to he's he's in this position that bucky was in mm-hmm. at the at the end of winter soldier it's like okay yeah he's like okay i need a minute to kind of like figure out who i am and what's going on here right um and also he's no longer he no longer feels compelled to do what sword tells him to do um in that moment when when vision the other vision gives him that clarity sure those memories he's like okay i i'm out of here and i'm gonna go figure some stuff out so i i totally bought that within the context of the story but uh yeah no i mean like there are all these you know dangling threads like and you know the the craziest thing about this to me it was like I think like there was a big discussion coming into the show and even after an episode or two of the show where people were like, do I have to watch this show to like understand the MCU going forward? And like, I get, I think at the time my response was like, no, no, I don't think so. You know, it's just, you, you take it on its own merits, but it's like, they covered a lot of narrative ground in this series and you're going to have to catch theater audiences up at some point and i'm like that I, are they just gonna take things as they lie wait a minute like especially with like monica right okay who's this character and why is she so powerful and what's going on with her and wait a minute white vision who's he where did he come from i thought vision was dead you know, there's so many unanswered he just, questions he just expl- for people. He just explained the conversation I have with my brother with like Darth Maul. What? Where's he's where he's, yeah. he was dead, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you, oh, oh. We talk about the summer reading, yeah. you know, and now like it, it's it's getting crazier for people. It's like I, I have to subscribe to Disney Plus now to understand everything. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I worry for if if there's any sort of concern that I have for the MCU and the future of it and where we're headed, uh, that would be it. Um, I don't think you can just walk blind into Infinity War and Endgame and and get those movies in the same way that somebody who's like followed along yeah. and watched everything up to that point. And more and more, that's going to become the case with everything that they release. And it's like, no, you really have to have gone back and watched this other thing. And that becomes a heavier and heavier task for audience members who are like, wait a minute, 25 movies and, and three television shows. And, oh, I'm out. You know, and that's, and that's the thing is that it's, 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 you create a monster, you have to feed that monster. And this probably was all a really good idea when Marvel was doing its first couple phases. And now I wonder how exhausted they are in their planning sessions. And it's just like, you know, you you can't, you know, it's, it's like a band going into the studio. It's like this next album's gotta be better than the last one. And, you know, or, you know, we, we made this amount of money. We got to make this amount of money coming up next. You know, it's, and it, it's just going to, and we've all watched behind the music. We know that something, something's going to happen, you know, because you just can't keep up that, you know, you can't just keep amping things up and maintain. There's going to be a, there's going to be a crash or they're going to have to say Marvel is done 
the MCU has done hard stop, you know, kind of like Star Wars was hard, done hard stop for a while until we can catch your breath and figure out what you want to do next. That, that's or, my fear because I don't see how you can keep it up from a creative standpoint or from a viewership standpoint because you're right. I mean, luckily I had a pandemic where I could sit and watch all the Marvel movies, you know, every night of the week and get caught up real quick. But, you know, that's that's not going to be possible, you know, pretty soon. People are going to go back on their other lives, so. No, and I, I think part of, no, part of the beauty and part of the difficult for Marvel is they can, I mean, they have built-in opportunities to kind of not quite hit a reset button, but kind of hit a, okay, this is the end and move forward. One of those was Endgame. You don't need to watch a single Iron Man movie. You shouldn't or Captain America movie to watch stuff going forward. If you want to see, and that's, that's always been the trick with Marvel. It's if you want to go back and do the summer reading and get a deeper understanding of where some of these characters came from. Cool. But you don't need to have watched everything. And I think that as we go forward and as we get introductions to the Eternals and Shang-Chi and some of these other characters, they're going to make it big, you know, more about, these are the characters you've catch on now. We're going to feature them. We may occasionally bring some of these people back. And if you're into them, cool. Go back and watch what we did. If not, it's not going to be, a, okay, you have to have read book seven in order to understand book 12. Because it's not a it's not a linear story. And that's, that's the advantage they have. And, you know, it's interesting because I remember at the very beginning when we talked about WandaVision, I said this is not, you can't, you can't just, this can't be your first Marvel introduction in, you can't survive, but I've been kind of proven wrong. We've got some friends who are like, they haven't watched any Marvel movie ever. They started watching WandaVision and they love the show and mm -hmm. they don't see, they didn't seem lost. I mean, I suppose if you were just to sit, you know, I, I think they did a good job of, you know, at least getting you to care about these two characters and understand something's not right here. And then you've come to find out that, okay, he's dead you know, and she's bringing him back. So I suppose, I suppose you can, you know, you know, enjoy it on a, on one level. So. Yeah. And you know, that's both, you know, that's kind of the dynamic that they, they have to play that way. If they make it where you have to have seen 25 movies and three TV shows and all the other stuff to catch on, you, you know, people will check out. Like, so people will look at the cost of entry and go, I don't want to do that. And, this is something that comics always invest in. They they have their story arcs that they tell, but every so often they have a, okay, we're resetting, stop, and we're just kind of giving us an introduction. So if you bought last episode or last issue and you didn't connect with it, buy this one. This is a nice entryway into the next story arc where we'll introduce you to the characters, you'll get to know them. And again, you want to know more about them? We have a whole back catalog to sell you. If not, cool, keep going. It's hard for me to separate too, because like personally, because I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I like I like these stories. I like these characters. I like these movies. I was like, okay, so I'm all in. I'm gonna watch everything. Uh, I'm not gonna see every movie in the theaters, pro probably, but um, and who knows what that'll look like with COVID going forward. But it's like at the time, by the end of the MCU, I was pretty much going to every the every movie in the theater because it's like you're going to get spoiled, right? And I'm already invested. I don't want to get spoiled. Um, 
so they've got me i'm like their target audience guy right but you know i think you i think you make a good point which is like people will still have that ability to only invest in the stuff that they want to invest in Aaron, to your point, like if somebody's watching WandaVision for the first time and this is their first introduction to these characters, well, okay, where did, where did, what's more, what, how do I learn more about Monica? Okay, I can go back and I can watch Captain Marvel. Okay, uh, I need to know more about this whole, you know, Scarlet Witch Vision relationship. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to watch the movies that they're in. And then you're going to find, that that's a gateway to more and more characters and different stories. And so, I mean, it's on, on some levels, it's really smart, but I also feel like, again, if you get it to a point where you're not holding people's hand, like if the, every story on some level has to be able to be an entry point for someone, I think, mm-hmm. I think that's what we're sort of circling around here. And but- it's like, if you, if you can't do that, you're going to lose people. And look at it this way, compared to something like The Mandalorian, which is an incredible entry point for Star Wars. You need not have seen a single moment of a single Star Wars movie. You just If you just want to watch The Mandalorian, it does its job perfectly. It tells its story perfectly. You want to know more about The Mandalorians? You can go back and watch Clone Wars. You can watch Rebels. You want to learn more about who Luke Skywalker is? We got a whole slew of movies to sell you. You know, you can watch only the original three. You can watch three through nine. So there's opportunities there for anybody who's coming along to kind of latch on to where they want. But if you don't want to do none of that, just watch your show and be happy with it and you will enjoy it. And that's that to me is the smart kind of way to go about it as more and more of these media conglomerates push expanded universes and shared universes and multimedia projects and products across uh, all sorts of things. It's You have to give the audience the opportunity to pick and choose what they want to consume. If you make it mandatory, it goes away. Now, I will tell you, I think um, kind of getting away from WandaVision here, but still staying, the next one coming up is Falcon and Falcon. Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. I think that is probably going to do gangbusters. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to temper my expectations but i mean the stuff that i'm seeing just looks like so much fun and so good the dynamics between anthony mackie and sebastian stan it just it it just looks like it's going to be that you know kind of like uh just that 90s you know buddy movie type of a thing almost like 48 hours you know type of a thing you know Mm -hmm. that wasn't really a 90s buddy movie but 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 still yeah yeah and wasn't really buddy but anyway you know what i mean though and uh and how big of a coup would it be to get new orleanian uh anthony mackie to talk with us sometime about that on this show we might have to find out to me we used to hang out at the same bar we'll talk about tracy's yeah but no i mean i look in some ways Falcon and Winter Soldier is an even easier introductory gateway to the MCU than WandaVision was. WandaVision is very esoteric. It's dealing with emotions in one level. It's doing very much like particularly those, you remember how you felt about those first two episodes, how difficult it was to set a slot for some of them because you could see kind of what they were doing, but you were like, come on, let's get to the good stuff. I think being that it's more action-based, 
being that it's more superhero uh, based, you know, it, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, the, the idea is very much uh, okay, these guys are out and they're fighting a bad guy that we know and this minions and it's more action oriented. I think it's an easier entry for a lot of people to get into than even one division and one division connected with people. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. All the memes that it spawned, it just, it's a short runtime. So are we, are we done with Agatha? That, yeah, that's a great question. I think like she was so popular that they, they have to bring her back. Post credit scene in Dr. Strange too. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Look, Could she be. is very powerful. She's a survivor. She's somebody who knows how to how to continue keeping on in spite of everything. So well, and in the comics, I, she's she's a mentor, kind of sometimes antagonist to Scarlet Witch, from what I understand, but mainly a mentor. They've never they were not like buddy buddy, um, but um, you know the way they kind of played it out in Wandavision was that they were very much, you know, at odds with one another. Um, you know what's fun though? Again, this is paying homage to the source material without feeling chained by it. Because it's like she did teach Scarlet Witch how to undo her with, right, the, runes. with the runes. Right. And that was that was just such a lovely little moment. And I was cackling through that whole thing. I was like, ah. mm-hmm. So I I yeah, I would love to see her come back. She did such a good job. Mm-hmm. And, and again, it's, it's something that Marvel has done rather well. I mean, characters like Darcy and Jimmy, who we've only seen in, well, Darcy we only saw in two Thor movies, Jimmy we only seen two Ant-Man movies. All of a sudden, boom, they pop up in here. They connect. They're awesome. Everybody enjoys them. They're going to want to see them pop up in other stuff. So, you know, the, the universe expands and it, a lot of it's, uh, other characters kind of populate and you know they allow for the grander sort of story threads to connect and for people to go oh hey i remember him for her from this other show and i like them i love you know i'm gonna love him here yeah well i don't know anything is there anything else we've have we left anything off the table that we need to bring on from wandavision um like i said my my just biggest concern was that it was just a very much a hurry up ending i wish you know i yeah i just wish the the climactic the, the i wish the climax and the denouement would have been maybe two episodes you know mm-hmm. so yeah, like if they're giving you one more episode to kind of stretch out and assess some of the stuff and you got to figure if they did if they didn't they did it for a reason and that's kind of why i felt oh that's going to be a season two because they were leaving a lot unsaid yeah. And not just stuff that you can expect to go. Oh, well, actually, there's one thing we didn't mention. We never found out what the deal with the rabbit was. I didn't. I never. I didn't. You know, it's like um, Ag- Agatha's rabbit, Agnes's rabbit. Um, you know, when she's got uh, Wanda chained up in her basement. You know, put rubs the lotion on its skin or it gets the hose again. Uh, when she was in Buffalo Bill's, you know, basement. Um, you know, she sends the. Uh, was as a bird turned into a roach right or a cicada Mm -hmm. or cicada and and the rabbit ate the cicada well rabbits eat plants you know what i mean so it's like that rabbit's not really a rabbit um so but we never found out who the rabbit okay so so would you like to know because apparently the director did reveal there's a deleted scene from the finale all right well i just saw actually there was a uh 
I just saw something pop up about deleted scenes from WandaVision as well. So go for it. All right. Okay. Spoiler, so spoiler, spoiler alert, everybody. If you don't, just go and watch the deleted scene if you want. Fredo's going to yeah, spoil so this, it for us all. Yeah, so this is, uh, so director Matt Shankman, Checkman, excuse me, was on Fat Man Beyond, the Kevin, Kevin Smith, Smith okay. Yeah, so he was discussing the finale. It says, there was a sequence that would feature Monica, Darcy, and Ralph, a.k.a. Pietro, which Ralph Boner. Yeah. Did they have to give him that name? Anyway, he said, ultimately got dropped to the fact the episode had so many different chess pieces already. Anyway, what he says is, it involves our heroes attempting to steal the dark hold from Agatha's basement, along with the two kids. So he Matt goes, the kids had seen it down there when they were being held hostage by Agatha. They go down to get the book, and they're reaching for the book, and the rabbit hops up in front of the book. They're like, oh, it's Senior Scratchy. He's the best. And they reach over to pet him, and he hisses, and this whole American werewolf in London transformation happens, where the rabbit turns into this big demon into her familiar so a witch as a familiar so it's like in <laughs> it's like in dogma i'm an effing demon <laughs> exactly and then uh and then a goonie set piece ensues with all sorts of fun where they try to escape from the rabbit they shot it didn't finish all the effects and stuff for it it was a great sequence it was super fun but they ended up moving it aside because it's a huge detour in the middle of everything else going on which kind of makes sense in regards to you know, that's the moment when Vision and White Vision are connecting. That's the moment when Monica and Agatha, I mean, Agatha and uh, Wanda are connecting and are fighting. So, but yeah, suppose that's the rabbit supposed to be uh, my, uh, Agatha's familiar and protector. And <laughs> so apparently it's a direct callback to the comics. All right. Well, there we go. Well, cool. All right. Well, uh, I guess that's our discussion on WandaVision. If there's anything uh, you guys think we should have brought up, hit us up on Twitter or on Facebook and let us know what you think about WandaVision. Um, And uh, like I said, we like to be bothered during the day about geek stuff like this. It's a nice little brain drain at the time. Um, So, yeah. And if you if you like what you're listening to, make sure you tell people to follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find the podcast, share it with somebody early Christmas present, you know? Um, and, uh, because you can find us about anywhere you get a podcast, which is kind of cool. Um, but, uh, otherwise until then we will say who dat, who dat? and who may, dat? may God bless Mickey Loomis and don't screw up our team, <laughs> um, which I know that I know that they won't. So, uh, but, uh, we will see you guys next week. Bye. Matanki.